Well, good morning, church family, and if this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, I just uh, want to uh, welcome you to the church. Uh, my name is Randy, and uh, I'm privileged to serve as the lead minister here at Windsor Road. Brian Rummery uh, was just up here, and Brian is our uh, associate minister over adult ministries, and uh, he uh, helps oversee our small groups, and part of his responsibilities also deal with the mission strips that uh, you've just heard about. And uh, he spoke about the unexpected blessings that we hope to give uh, in terms of the teams that will be sent out this summer, uh, Ethiopia, the Dominican Republic. Um, it is a privilege uh, to be used by God to be a blessing in the lives of other people. And today we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that talks about unexpected blessings, unexpected, undeserved blessings, and how that really reveal, though when, when blessings come, those blessings reveal really what's in our heart. Um, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 5, the New Testament book of John chapter 5, as we continue in a series that we've been on here for the past few weeks called Questions God Asks You. We often have questions that we want to ask God, but here in this series, the table is turned. God has some questions that He wants to ask us, and we're going to see uh, one of the, another one of those questions in our verses this morning. It's on page 753 of your church Bibles, your navy blue Bibles that are in the pouch in front of you. I'm going to be reading John chapter 5 verses 1 through 18. John chapter 5 verses 1 through 18. And I want you to pay attention to the question which God asks in these verses. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Then glance down in your footnotes to verse uh, 4. It's in the footnotes of your church Bibles and probably in many of your Bibles. I'll explain a little bit later why it's in your footnotes. And they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, and here's the question for today, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the, the, the man who made me well said to me, pick, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, 
for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. This is God's word. Well, this past week, um, little Annie Clark, seven-year-old, first grader, won a national handwriting contest. And here is her work. Little Annie Clark. It was a penmanship contest that took place, and she won best overall in her school And then she won a special category nationally, Annie Clark. She's a hard worker. She's a go-getter. She's kind of a perfectionist, as you can see, when it comes to her penmanship. And Annie Clark has no hands or fingers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? This is what her dad says. Oh, I was going to, before I tell you what her dad says, let me tell you what she got. She got a trophy half her height, and she got a check for $1,000. Huh? This is what her dad says. Her dad says, Annie has always been very, very determined, very self-sufficient in dressing herself and feeding herself. She can ride a bike. She swims. She's just determined that there's nothing she can't do. And she also types on a keyboard, and she uses an iPod Touch with absolutely no difficulties. That's what Annie's dad says. Well, the reporters then wanted to know, Annie... What is your technique? And this is what Annie says. This is her secret. Her technique. They asked the question. Pause for a moment. She said, Well, I try to think about the word. And I try to think about the spelling. And then I just go real slow. (laughs) There it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> She's just determined that there's nothing she can't do. No excuses, no blaming. She just thinks, and then she just goes real slow. Mm. Little Annie Clark. I think the fellow in John chapter 5 could have learned a lot from her. John chapter 5 introduces us to uh, an individual, a fellow, a man who um, was disabled and who along with a multitude of others 
who were disabled found their way at a pool near the Sheep Gate in the city of Jerusalem. You can go to this pool today. You can see it. Um, it is huge. You've got to think of it in terms of um, a pool the size of a football field. That's what you've got to think. And it was located near the Sheep Gate because uh, then the sheep would go through the gate and they would go to the pool where they would be washed and cleaned and then prepared for temple sacrifice. That's why it was located near the sheep gate. So it's not going to be a very clean place. It's going to be a place where you know, the filthy animals are washed and then prepared for sacrifice. And it's there that this multitude of people gathered. And verse 4 tells us why they gathered. Uh, verse 4 is in the footnote of your Bibles because uh, John's gospel, the gospel of John that we read here, comes to us as a result of, of, of a multitude of manuscript copies. We don't have the original gospel of John. I don't know that, how would we know if we did? We do have copies and manuscripts. And the oldest and more reliable manuscripts don't contain verse 4. Uh, and so that's why it's there in the footnote. Verse 4 helps us understand verse 7, you see. And so there was a legend there by this pool that these people gathered because the legend said that periodically this angel would show up and stir the waters and the first of among these disabled people, this throng of disabled people would get into the pool, they would be healed. These disabled, blind, lame, verse 3, and paralyzed, literally the dried up ones. The dried up ones came to this pool, hoping that maybe this would be their day. Maybe it would change. Maybe an angel would show up. Maybe the waters would be stirred. Maybe they would be first in. And maybe they would be healed. This, this, uh, this lottery contest, maybe, would happen to this particular person the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. I wonder if you've ever really thought about the challenges of paralysis, uh, the challenge of mobility, where someone has to take the people who are there, they just get there on their own. Someone has to take them there. Or maybe they did get there on their own. Maybe they had to crawl. But the challenges of having someone take you there and, and place you there, and, and maybe this pool was sort of a, dis, a, a, a daycare for disabled, where, you know, before you go to work, you take your family member and you plop them off there at the pool and then, and then uh, leave them with whatever they might need for the day. And then you go off to work and then you pick them up later on. And, and, and this would go on day after day after day after day. And, and so uh, the challenges of mobility and even just the challenges of personal hygiene, the challenges of... Uh, Quite frankly, uh, uh, physical problems, bowel control, bladder control issues. We're talking about destitute people that are here. People who are, are going to be having to, to uh, uh, 
uh, beg for a living. It's very difficult. It's a dirty place already because of the sheep. And now they've got their own conditions. And who's there to help? The people who in the upper classes of society, they're not going to be anywhere to be seen because they just don't go to those kind of places, you know. Here you have this, this large area. You have these people and the only redeeming uh, part of this pool was that the city planners were kind enough to build a covered porch around it so that in addition to the squalor, they wouldn't have to bake in the hot sun and they could somehow escape the weather. This pool. This pool, which was called Bethesda, verse 2. You know what Bethesda means? House of mercy. But I'm telling you, it was anything but merciful. It wasn't. It was not very merciful at all. Oh, it advertised mercy. It advertised healing. But it was, it was actually a place that favored the strong. It was actually a competitive, merit-based place. Because in the off chance that the legend were true and the angel would stir the water and the waters would be uh, 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 rumbled and someone, who would get in first? It wouldn't be the weakest, it would be the stronger, you see. So it advertised mercy and help for the weak, but only the strong could take advantage of its promise. Bethesda, house of mercy, false advertising. Sheepgate, animals, dirty water, society's misfits all around the perimeter of this pool, false advertising, the patrician class nowhere to be seen, but this is exactly where Jesus shows up in these verses and he locks on to one individual verse 5 who'd been there he'd been in an invalid rather for 38 years wasn't 38 years old he'd been paralyzed for 38 years so by now he's an old man keeping in mind that back then the average age the average age that people lived to was 40 years of age just 40. And here he'd been paralyzed. He'd been an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus sees him. Out of this entire horde, Jesus' eyes lock on to this one man. And verse 6 says, He saw him lying there and learned, literally, he knew he had been there for a long time. He knew and that's when Jesus asked him the most unusual question. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? What kind of a question is that? At a place like that, that's a silly question, isn't it? Do you want to get well? What do you mean, do you want to get well? You think that everybody at that pool wants to get well? Do you? You don't believe that, do you? In a crowd that large? In a crowd that large... People will come for a variety of reasons. And some of them actually do. Some of them want to get well. Some of them need to get well. And some of them 
want a handout. And some of them uh, want someone else to commiserate with them. And some of them want pity in a place that large with all of those people there, you see. Why? One scholar said that the Bethesda pool can be a lot like church. You can't look at the pool and you can't look in this room and make the conclusion, well, everybody wants to be healed. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying not to be naive. See, not everybody's there for the same reason and not everybody's here for the same reason. Do you want to get well? It's a great question. Because if Jesus heals this guy, his life changes for good. He's going to have to go home. And the next morning, he's going to have to get up. And he's going to have to get a job. And he's going to have to work to provide, work for food. And he may or may not want that, you see. What if Jesus asked you that question? Do you want to get well? Do you want change? You see, some people want change. They want change, all right, but they don't want to be changed. (laughs) They don't want any of that. I don't want to live my life any differently. I just want the results to be different. And church family, that's just not going to happen. It's not. That doesn't work. Do you want to get well? Do you want to be transformed? I'm not so sure this guy does. You say, Randy, you're so hard on this guy. What is up with that? Work with me here. Work with me. Jesus asks a yes-no question. Do you want to get well? And this guy, look at what he says. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool and the water is stirred while I'm trying to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, can you hear seven-year-old Annie say that? You know, I have no way to win a contest. I don't have any fingers. I can't hold a pencil. I can't keep the paper still on the table. I just can't. Can you hear Annie say that? I can't because she didn't. She didn't say that. See, Annie didn't know. No one told her that she had to have fingers in order to win a penmanship contest. No one told her that. On the other hand, this fella doesn't even answer The question, he just simply gripes about how much the system has let him down. And the Word made flesh is standing right there before him, and he doesn't even know it. He doesn't even get it. He thinks that he just needs a personal assistant. Do do you realize who it was you were singing songs to just a little while ago? He He doesn't even know who was standing there before him. Do you? Do you know who it is, this great God we serve? Let me tell you about another Annie, uh, an author named Annie Dillard. She wrote in one of her books, Teaching a Stone to Talk. Does Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, making up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It's madness to wear lady straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our chairs. For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense. Or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. 
You know what? It's one thing to go to church. It's another thing to worship. The one can be pretty safe, but the other, that can be mighty dangerous. <laughs> mighty dangerous. Do we have any idea who we worship on Sunday? Well, what does Jesus do? Well, verse 8. He bypasses the water. He bypasses the system. He bypasses the personal assistant stuff. And he just issues an order. Get up. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And at once, he was cured. And we're not talking about the... Invalid legs were kind of started to be to quiver, and then he was able to stand up and shake, and you know, like uh, uh, like 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 this guy who's just trying to get his bearings and all. No, he just popped right up instantly. He walked at once. He was cured, and what you need to understand was that there was absolutely nothing within him that merited what happened to him. He was the recipient of an undeserved, unearned blessing. Nothing in this man merited the miracle he received. It's not like he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's not what he said. And it's not like Jesus said, Go, your faith has made you well. There's no evidence of faith whatsoever in these verses. Well, then why did Jesus heal him? Because he's Jesus. Because it's grace. It's just pure, raw grace. And then we learn this really interesting feature to what happened in John 5. The day on which all of this took place, was the Sabbath. It was the Sabbath. So this guy pops up. He gets his mat. He's prancing about. And all of a sudden, the doctrine police pull him over. (laughs) What do you think you're doing? It's the Sabbath. You're carrying your mat. Ah, you know. Start reading of his rights. Crazy. Totally oblivious. To, I mean, if, if he'd been an invalid for 38 years, he had to have been a familiar face. But they just kind of they just kind of goes over their heads. You're breaking the law. You're breaking our law. You see, the legalists had concocted about 39 different ways one could break the Sabbath. And then they took those. 39 categories and ways and they kind, they've kind of codified that and, and put such a hedge around the gift and the beauty of the Sabbath that oh my goodness they were just legalists absolute legalists and so they want to know what's up with that the law forbids you to carry your mat you're breaking the law what's he say is this, is this guy is this guy good? Is, is now is he going to is he, you know, he going to stand up for Jesus? Is that what he's going to do here? Verse 11. Hey, I'm just doing what I was told. The man who made me well said to me, pick up your man. Well, who is that? Who is that? And see, Jesus had dodged the crowd. This guy had no idea who it was who healed him. 
for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And you want to know what happened next? Jesus hunts the guy down there in the temple. He finds him. So there's another crowd. This guy's walking around trying out his new legs. And all of a sudden he turns the corner and bam, right in the face, he sees the very one who had healed him. And Jesus locked eyes on him. Look, buddy. Hey, you're well, aren't you? You're well. Stop sinning. Or something worse may happen to you. I got my eyes on you. Okay? Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Why would Jesus say that? What's he saying there? Well, here's what he's saying. He's saying that this specific man's specific condition was, and we're not told what it was, the result of a specific sin that had occurred in his life. Jesus isn't saying that all disease or all forms of paralysis or all forms of blindness or all forms of illness can be directly tied to personal sin. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying that this specific person's situation had been brought about by specific sin because he knew the man. And then he says this, or something worse may happen to you. Something worse. What could be worse than 38 years without the use of your legs? What could be, what could, what could be worse than being diagnosed with terminal cancer? What could be worse losing your eyesight? What could be worse? Well, If you believe that this life is all there is, then there's nothing worse. Nothing. But if you believe that there is a life after this life, and if you believe the testimony of the one who came from heaven to earth to give us life, then then you must consider that the worst thing that could ever happen to you would be separation from the giver of life. And church family, our sin separates us from God. That's the worst thing that could happen to you. And that's the very reason why Jesus Christ came. He came to give grace, unexpected, undeserved blessings to the most unlikely people. Well, then what happened? What happened? Here Jesus gives this unlikely person uh, an undeserved gift, and then this guy signs up for a missions trip to Ethiopia and the Dominican Republic. This guy enrolls in Urbana Theological Seminary. This guy tithes. 
What happens? Verse 15. This guy takes the fresh legs that Jesus gave him and he rats him out to the legalists. Verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. (laughs) What? Are you sure that shouldn't be in the footnote? (laughs) No, that's what happened. That's what happened. And that's why verse 16 says that the religious enemies of Christ started persecuting Jesus. Well, what happens to this guy? I don't know. He just sort of falls off the page of the scripture. We just, whoa, I I, I don't know. But I know that John has me in mind when I'm reading this, and he has you in mind. Because you see, the question remains, well, okay, that's what this guy did with an unexpected blessing. How might I respond to an unexpected blessing? How might I respond to an undeserved? This guy's, what's happened to him has happened to him. What about me? What's going to be my story? What's going to be my response? Because when an unexpected blessing shows up, that unexpected blessing just unmasks what's in my heart. And that's what we see. Grace always reveals the heart. And that's what we need to learn here. Grace reveals the heart. It revealed this paralyzed man's heart. What was in his heart? Blame. Blame. He blamed the system for not healing him. He blamed Christ for healing him. And Jesus confronts him and he warns him about the need for change, at which point he rats Jesus out to the legalists. What about you? What about me? Maybe you're feeling paralyzed in some way. I don't know. Jesus shows up. He says, do you want to get well? Do you? Are you willing to let go of the past and assume responsibility and take hold of life again? Are you willing to stop blaming others and and take ownership for who it is God wants of you? You can't just want change. You've got to want to be changed. Now, what is it? And then there are those who are you know, paralyzed, not just maybe in a life situation, but they're paralyzed, they're paralyzed by, by religious legalism. And Christ's unexpected blessing unmasked their true selves because these religious enemies, they didn't love God, they loved power, and they loved prominence. And, and really, uh, these religious enemies, why, my goodness, they're the pastors, they're the pastors, for goodness sake. And they said they, uh, they wanted to kill. Verse 18, for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. My goodness. You're a religious leader and you want to kill? What's up with that? They'd become the doctrine police. And Jesus was threatening their influence and control over the people. They had totally overlooked the fact that this man had been disabled for 38 years and instead busts the guy and then moreover goes after Jesus for healing him. And at the root, Matthew 5, 42 tells us why they were what they were. But I know you, Jesus said, and I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. 
That's why they were what they were. They loved their legalism. They loved what their peers thought about them more than what God thought about them. And so the question, do you love the praise of people more than you love the praise of God? Do you? Uh, Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Losing blank would devastate me. Losing blank would devastate me. Jesus says in no uncertain terms, you know, he says, losing me, losing Christ, losing my grace, that's what will devastate you. I tell you the truth, Matthew, excuse me, John 5, 24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. That's what you don't want to lose. You, you, you can lose everything else in life, everything, and still be devastated. But Jesus declares, he declares, I tell you the truth, amen, amen, amen. That was usually said at the conclusion of a saying by other people. Jesus himself says it at the beginning. I'm telling you, what I'm about to tell you is truth. And you hear my word and you believe in my word. You have eternal life. It's already begun. The world might kill you, but the world can't hurt you. Now, what do you want? Do you want to get well? Well, who's the hero here? Well, it's not the dude who's been disabled for 38 years, and it's not the pastors either, (laughs) okay? Who's the hero? Jesus, (laughs) Jesus, because you see, the unexpected, undeserved blessings show the world who he is. Verse 18. Whatever whatever else Jesus was saying, it was absolutely clear that the people heard. He was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Equal with God. This is who I am. I am equal with God. So you either worship me or crucify me. And you notice here, Jesus didn't pick an easy case, did he? (laughs) He picked a rather, uh, I call it EGR person, right? Extra grace required person. That's who he, he didn't reach out to, you know, he just, you know, (laughs) you know, we like to think that ministry is about reaching out to low maintenance people. (laughs) That's a pipe dream. (laughs) Okay, well, I mean, Jesus shows us this here, you know, and he took initiative and he went to a place where suffering and isolation are beyond measure. Where would our church go? Where's our Bethesdas, you see? Where are the little Bethesdas in your life? See? You know, Jesus did this on the Sabbath deliberately. Deliberately. Because he's wanting to communicate in no uncertain terms who he is. 
I and the Father are one. And just as the Father continues to work on the Sabbath by sustaining and upholding this incredible creation, whatever the Father does, the Son does. So Jesus cannot not heal on the Sabbath. Healing and grace just pour out of Him. He works on the Sabbath so that we can Sabbath. And His work on the Sabbath will take Him beyond a pool where sheep are washed. His work will take Him to a cross where He, as the Lamb of God, will be bloodied and dirtied for this man's sins and for yours and mine. And for that, he deserves our worship. So the question is, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Do you want to be free to live and love more deeply? Do you want to be free to, to carry your piece of God's dream to heal this broken world? Do you want to do that, you see? You see, God takes us off of our mat and heals us and gives us this incredible gift of eternal life so that we can then just go back to that pool and share more of the undeserved mercy and grace. You see, this guy, he just doesn't get it. He is siding with the legalists and maybe what Christ wanted for him to do is to go back to the very place of his suffering and make a difference in the lives of other people. Do you want to get well? You know, that's what Charles Colson did. Charles Colson just died um, not long ago. Charles Colson was Richard Nixon's hatchet man in the White House. Charles Colson once said, uh, I would be willing to walk over my grandmother to get the president elected. He was ruthless, mean, and he was convicted of his part in Watergate and sentenced to prison, and his life was absolutely transformed. I mean, it was a night and day transformation. And he once said, Bless you, prison, for having been in my life. You see, he went back to his Bethesda pool. He went back having started Prison Fellowship. And it is the world's largest ministry outreach to the least loved people in our society. And he took with him the gospel that had transformed his life. One obituary says that Charles Colson was, uh, and I love how this obituary put it, dazzled by his own implausible redemption. The very least likely person to turn to Christ, Jesus got a hold of him, told him to get up, to take up his mat, and to walk. And Colson did. And he didn't rat Jesus out. He took the gospel to the places where nobody else really cared if the gospel went. And he changed, he's transformed, he traded a life of ambition 
for a life of significance. Someone said Charles Colson was possessed by more than just a cause. He was possessed by a person. Well, I know who that person is. And I think you do too. And that person's question is for you today. Do you want to get well? Do you?